This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. Three points and further progression in the League Cup makes this a pretty good week for Manchester City, all told, although there are still injury concerns, especially with that trip to Anfield looming ever closer. But that's for a Blue Moon podcast of the future, because this week we're all about Aston Villa and Southampton as City keep tabs on the league leaders and move into the League Cup quarterfinals, and pretty comfortably too. Also on this week's show, we'll be checking in on the EDS progress, especially as some inexperienced faces were on display on Tuesday night, and we're on a trip down memory lane as Rob Wilson continues his look back at each of the last decade of City seasons. This week, we're heading back to City's first Premier League winning campaign. All that and more in the next hour or so. I'm David Mooney, and to help me discuss this week's talking points, I'm joined by City fan Kieran Murray. Hello. And the Athletics City correspondent, Sam Lee. Hello. Uh, how are you doing? First first time for... Uh, you've been on already. I've forgotten who's been on this season already, Kieran. Have yes, you been on I was on. Yes, I was on already in the season. Excellent. Uh, but first time for you, then, uh, this season. It's, uh, it is, yeah. We, we've, hit a, we've hit the point, though, where it's that late in the season where I can't really go. I, how, good summer, sort of thing. <laughs> it's like three <laughs> uh, months yeah. ago. So, yeah. Right. so yeah, um, but let's crack on with the uh, with the headlines from uh, from this week's games. Uh, I'm going to start in a place that we don't normally start um, for for these sorts of games, because I think the big headline from this week was the youngsters that played on uh, on Tuesday night. And Tommy Doyle, uh, Sam, was the headline was the headline starter against Southampton. How do you think he did? I thought he was good. Um, all things considered, you know, he's a big City fan and young, um, trusted to play in a position that wasn't his. Um, so it'd have been, you know, nervous and maybe not used to what he was asked. Um, but you know, in those circumstances, he did really well. You know, didn't you know the only time I think he gave the ball away was when he was trying something a bit more expansive. It wasn't like he was giving stupid balls away and causing huge danger to the city goal. And I mean, yeah, let's be honest, Southampton weren't very good, but all things it's still considered, a Premier League side. It's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and all things considered, he, I think he was probably the best player on the pitch. To be honest, that's that's high praise, Kieran. Do you agree? Um, he certainly, certainly for to um, to make his debut that way, it was um, it was very very impressive. I mean, he comes from Blue Heritage, doesn't he? With both of his grandfathers being City legends, I think he walked out and there was a Mike Doyle uh, flag that caught his eye. Actually, it was the, uh, it was Gary James that tweeted uh, something like, "It's not often that you make your debut for the club that you support in the competition that there's a banner of." your grandfather holding in the homestand. It yeah. just, yeah, there's... It's a rarity, that, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, no, he did brilliantly in the middle of the park. Um, that's a role where, I mean, City have City have problems there with injuries, but then they have resources there. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see kind of what comes from it. But on the night, to make his debut in such stylish fashion, yeah, very impressive. Well, that's, I mean, he's, he's both of his grandfathers, this is all from Gary James's his Twitter feed, by the way, so none of this research is mine, um, <laughs> but uh, both of his grandparents scored for City in the 1970, uh, 1970 League Cup final. Uh, that's uh, Mike Doyle and Glyn Pardo. Uh, Pardo still remains the youngest ever City appearance at 15 years and 314 days. And Alan Oakes, who is City's most, ca- uh, most uh, player with most appearances, uh, is Pardo's cousin, so Doyle's, uh, so Tommy oh. Doyle's cousin, twice removed. So he's got real like city legend heritage in there. Blue blood, doesn't he? Yeah, I, I read that his um, his parents met as toddlers, just knocking about with their their two city fathers. Really, really nice. Um, so yeah, no, it was brilliant. It was a, a really polished debut, and um, the sort of heartstring pulling interview with his uh, with his grandfather Glenn Pardo, because um, Mike died in two thousand and eleven. Is that right? Yeah. Um, 
yeah, no, he was really, really emotional. It's lovely. I also read a, an interview with Tommy Doyle who said um, that his granddad winds him up because he beat him by three years and he didn't make his <laughs> debut. He's still the youngest. Um, but yeah, for an 18-year-old to come on in such fashion, he just showed great poise, I thought, and he was playing balls everywhere. Um, and from what I've read about him, they are looking to him as being a real a real one for the future. It's not just a flash in the pan sort of knock into the Carabao Cup and, and we'll see you later kind of thing. I think he is actually one that they're eyeing up to, to really make it. Yeah, Sam, does he, I mean, in a weird way, does he have the added bonus that the spotlight seems to be on Phil Foden? Because he can kind of develop behind the scenes without that added pressure. Yeah, probably. And it's become it's become such a matter of like national importance now, hasn't it, the whole Foden <laughs> development thing? Because he was, you know, he was on the bench against um, Celtic about three years ago, in December yeah. three years ago. Mm. And ever since then, people have been like, oh, what's going on? And obviously now people know how good he is. They want him to play more. Um, yeah, so I mean, Doyle's obviously been a bit more protected from that because he hasn't had, you know, he hasn't been around the first team on the bench all the time. Um, but it's like, it's come so far now that so much is invested in Foden. It's even if Doyle were to play a couple of games, there probably wouldn't be as much spotlight on him because it's all about Foden. Um, I think it's actually interesting because you know Guardiola seems to have promised that Foden's going to take over from David Silva next year and they're not going to buy anyone. Um, I could actually see a situation where if they don't buy anyone, they're going to end up getting criticised about two months into the season when someone gets injured and they go, <laughs> we haven't got enough. It's something this season the centre-offs, so it's... Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, if that doesn't happen, they are going to only have... I say only, but in terms of numbers, for the number eight role, um, not as, you know, not probably as many options as they could have. And if they do get one or two injuries, then that's probably going to help Doyle as well in the future. So I think I think their futures are kind of linked because Doyle is normally, uh, you know, more of an attacking midfielder like Foden. Um, but obviously everything's been done to get Foden into the team. So Doyle's going to be always a bit behind that. So it's harder to see him getting into it. But if they don't sign another midfielder next summer, um, it's probably going to give him probably going to give him a lot of a helping hand to be honest a lot of opportunities there yeah. I mean Kieran what I mean we're judging off one game in the first team obviously yeah. so we, we, we kind of have to keep feet on the ground here but what did he offer that was different to, to, other, to City's other options this is the worry a little bit because I'm not sure he offered masses of, of difference from what we have currently you know that might that might stall his progress a little bit but if, but, he's, if he's really good at it it doesn't matter yeah um, well I think he normally plays as an eight, is that right? But he was played yeah, as, yeah. He, he was played as a six on Tuesday night. So versatility is something that's really, really important to the Pep vision at City. Um, but he just had unbelievable natural nice and talent. Um, I read about his his attitude and even the interviews that you see with him. He just seems to train impeccably hard. He's got the right attitude. I mean, as we've already talked about, he's been born a blue. Um, that balance, that vision, able to able to play a pass uh, anywhere really and cut between the lines. Um, there was an interesting thing I thought actually early on was that he was running over to take the corners and it seems like a little thing but to be trusted kind of he must he must have a fair he's got really good he must really have a fair good. whip I mean, on him the only one he actually put into the box didn't go to the box did it went behind the went goal went behind yeah. the first post yeah. genuinely one of the first corners ever <laughs> yeah. one of the worst corners ever taken that's so. right so I noticed him but taking the corners earlier and was like that's it's brilliant to see that then he took a corner and it didn't even make it it just went straight out of play after that Phil Foden ran over to him and took a short corner with him as if to say, you know, almost like sensitivity towards him as in like, I'm not going to let this happen again. So he went over as almost a backup. I thought it was a really old head on young shoulders thing to do. Now, from that short corner, Foden spotted Bernardo, gave a ball through to Bernardo on the edge of the box. Bernardo crossed in and Otamendi scored. So it was like, 
Foden almost helping out his mate there a little bit as in like I know you fluffed that one so I'm going to make sure it doesn't happen again we'll do this together kind of thing um, well that was my romanticised version of it <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah so we scored from that and it was it was lovely to see the two of them pair up a little bit there yeah I mean Sam you spoke to uh, to Doyle after the game what's he like as, a, as, as kind of how does he speak if you know what I mean um, it's difficult because, I mean, kind of, I'd say short sentences, but coherent and you know, somewhat interesting. Because you know, when you speak to Foden, for example, F- Foden feels like he says but, nothing. Yeah, he <laughs> yeah. Did, yeah, he didn't say anything, and it's really, really hard work to kind of. Even if you listen to it on the radio, you'd be like, mm, not sure about that. But then when you read it in black and white, it's always another standard, and it's like yeah. that's not saying anything. But Doyle is, yeah, it's, you know, quite, you know, quite interesting and. Um, he's you know he said the usual things about how he found out this morning and he was sorry the morning of the game and how he was nervous about it and couldn't relax and how he got advice from his family and you know from from other players and that kind of thing and you know they do a lot of media training obviously um, and apparently by all accounts um, he always really like pays attention in those media training classes and he's like really studious in that sense as well so just like with footballers like that who would just always want to learn and do the right thing. Um, it might be something as as little as the you know the media training classes, but if he approaches those so professionally, then it's it's kind of no surprise that Guardiola's trusted him to play at the back of midfield. Well, yeah. you wrote about that, didn't you? Uh, about Eric Garcia when Kyle Walker said that he saw him as a future manager. Yeah. Um. So he again, we're talking about youth. He had a brilliant game on Tuesday night against Southampton as well. well I was going to come on to Garcia actually because um I, I wanted to ask in a, in a more general sense how much of an important role has he got to play in the coming weeks because you know Stones is is back now. Otamendi has been injured. He's back. Fernandinho obviously had that suspension, but he's he's back for for weekend and uh, Rodri's injured. So is Garcia going to be involved? I don't think so. Because it's because of the height. If 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 there was no other centre backs, but it was. If like Laporte was fit and everyone else was injured, it would be fine playing Garcia. Or if Laporte was fit and like Otamendi was fit as well, but not playing well, I think you might you might try swap Garcia. But if you've got Garcia, who's five foot ten, and um, Fernandinho who's five foot eight, you kind of you, you're giving yourself a problem there. And, you know, Guardiola's. Mm. I my theory is he's fundamentally terrified of losing football matches and of anything that could possibly go wrong. And I don't think he's going to play two short centre backs together, or shortish mm. four centre backs, because that could it could together. give the opposition that, something to target. And, yeah. and if if the other you know if the other step in, if it wasn't Fernandinho and if it was Rodri, maybe because you know Rodri's a bit taller and there's that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's mainly a height issue. But everything else is is fantastic. I'd say he seems to slot in. He's played well on on Tuesday night, Karen. Yeah, passing out from the back. I I I love seeing a player with that kind of poise and that confidence to just take the ball from the keeper, play it across his own box without any nerves whatsoever. And then I quite like the way he can break the lines. I think we're missing that with Laporte being out at the moment. Who can Somebody who can take it up and break, uh, play a pass out uh, to feet in between the lines in midfield. I think Garcia is really, really um, proficient at that. Um, I didn't ever think about the height thing before because I was sort of wondering where is this kid and why isn't he playing when we've got a, a centre back crisis and he's so we've got such high hopes for him for the future, um, but I mean we're on a cup run um, we'll hopefully get another cup run with the FA Cup later and it'll be nice to see how Garcia takes over. I'll, I'll look forward to seeing him on the team sheet. Yeah, I mean the the other name to we touched on him slightly is uh, is Phil Foden. Uh, obviously we we. We are clamouring week after week after week for him to get more time on the pitch. Guardiola is, has been 
quite public in saying that you know he's not silver, he's not De Bruyne, and and this is you know th- th- these players need to be need to be in the team. Um, first off, is is Guardiola right to be saying that sort of stuff? It's encouraging, isn't it? it? It's almost the reverse psychology of it all to encourage him to kind of want to do better. If he's saying he's not Silva and he's not De Bruyne, and there's the two names that he's, you know, that he's quoting, um, Silva's leaving next year. Do you know, so if he by, I think by looking at that, going okay, if I'm not either of one of those two, I'm doing as well. Too, oh, did he? Right. Um, at least maybe he'll he'll see the air to that. He'll see the air um, opening up for him a little bit, I guess. Um, but, but it's true though, isn't it? Like he's nineteen years old. There's yeah, things he's not yeah. going to know, and he's not just compared him to like older older players. He's, got, he's compared them to particularly the current team, Silver's case and De Bruyne's case, world class mm. attacking midfielders. Gundogan, not so much, but as we've seen, we'll probably speak about with the Villa performance. You know, now he's learned how to play at the back of midfield. He's arguably world class on his day, anyway. Mm. But yeah, so yeah, I mean, it's just normal that Foden. Isn't quite there yet. Um, the thing is, he does offer a lot to the team whenever he plays. Um, like the other night was an interesting example because he didn't he didn't stand out an awful lot. But in that sense, he's kind of a victim of his own success already because you know when he played against Atalanta, he was so good and created four chances, which was mm. like the most in the Champions League for four years, which is mad. And you know, whenever he plays, you're expecting something crazy to happen. Yeah. You know, yeah. the other night it didn't, but it didn't really happen for any of the other season senior players either. They did the job they were supposed to do. Um, and that's why it's interesting with with Foden, um, but there is always a sense. It go again. It goes back to the Guardiola terrified of things going wrong thing. Because the other thing with Garcia, and it's the same for Foden. It's it's just the inexperience, and I think he's probably worried that they're going to do something stupid in a key area, give the ball away, or just make a mistake that older players wouldn't do, and it's going to cost them a goal. I think that's what I think that's the main the main issue at the moment. So it's just trust, a bit a bit of time and a bit of trust, maybe. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Um, but obviously, the best way to do that is and to improve, isn't it? Is, is to play. Yeah. Um, but you know, Guardiola is going to do it when the the stakes are lower. Let's be honest. Yeah. I'm going to bring a question forward from Ask the Panel. This is uh, from Paul Brock uh, on Twitter, who asks, uh, "Do you think we'll ever see Garcia, Doyle, and Foden all start in a Premier League game for City?" Ooh. Mm. I think. Pro- I mean, probably not. But, I mean, there is, there is definitely a chance. Um, but like, like, like I say, when I was talking about Doyle's progress early, you know, that kind of depends on what happens with whether they buy somebody else, and then maybe a couple of injuries. Um, mm. It doesn't. It doesn't feel to me like certainly in the near future that they'll name Foden and Doyle in the team together. No, exactly. And like we're talking about a Premier League game, and yeah, like, I, like a Premier League game for Guardiola. Even if we go back to the hundred point season. Everyone thought, oh, now the title's won with five we'll games. Folks can play all the time. Record, he barely he? played. Uh, so, yeah, I don't. Th- I mean, you know, it's going to be. If you were to say, yeah, uh, would would Garcia and Foden play a Premier League game? You'd be like, Oof, I'd, and maybe in a couple of years, but Foden Doyle in as well. I mean, I, the chances are probably not. It's definitely possible because they're all really good. Um, the thing with Garcia more than anything is the height, um, but yeah. If you know in a couple of years, if he keeps getting experience and Laporte's there, yeah, I could see him playing in the Premier League. Foden see him in the Premier League, and then with Doyle, it's more yeah, kind of what happens with everyone else. I mean, it's possible, but you need a lot of things to fall into place. Mm, yeah, good. We'll we'll come back to that one. I think. Um, I want to I want to throw in another uh, player that graduated from the City Academy, but he went away for a bit and came back. Uh, Angelino uh, Kieran. 
played a pretty good game against um, uh, Southampton on Tuesday night. Maybe a bit of an issue at left back for City though now because because yeah. he, he I, I don't I don't really know what the latest is with him. I guess we'll find apparently out before. Apparently, yeah. yeah, it was just cramp. I heard. Uh, I was sad on him that he had to go off injured because he he just yeah he had a really accomplished game. Um, I was thinking about this the other day. Actually, we think we've got a centre back crisis, and it's not a crisis per se. But this year with fullbacks, when they're such an intrinsic part part of uh, of Pep's philosophy to have Zinchenko, Mendy. Angelino, Cancelo and Walker. There's nobody really solidly, you know, is going to play every game there. Um, with the way injuries have been going and the way the way the rotation's been going and uh, fixtures. So I don't know whether Angelino is, is automatically in Pep's thinking if Mendy is unavailable at left back. Um, twice now he's played the sort of latter stages of a Premier League I don't think Villa was a rout by any means, but you know the sort of like um, the match was won, the three points were in the bag, really, and they brought him on for sort of fifteen minutes to kind of bed in, and then played him on the on the following Tuesday in the Carabao, and he's he's doing well. He had a dodgy preseason where everybody was looking at him, going, um, "Why have we Why have we signed him again?" You know, he's not he's not much not much use, but um, he impressed the PSV enough to want to have him back, and yeah, he looks nothing. <sighs> I don't know if we would rely on him all the time in the Premier League, but actually in the Carabao and getting those minutes under his belt, he looked tidy the other night. His crosses were fine. His positional his positional sense was were great, and defensively, I thought he tracked back and you know made a few interceptions really well. I think it's interesting as well, Sam. Sometimes that Guardiola quite quite aggressively goes in. Well, you know, Cancelo can play left back. Yeah, mm. yeah. Fundamentally, I don't think I don't think he's that good, Angelino. And a lot of people, are, oh, where where is he? You know, we've got problems at left back. Mm. Where's Angelino? He, you know, bought for like a load of different circumstances. Uh, cheap, homegrown, convenient. Um, it was a convenient opportunity. Yeah, and also you know they'd City do need a left back, but also it was always going to be he was always going to play in those games where because you're thinking about it at the start of the season, you'd probably think if Mendy were injured and Zinchenko was the left back, obviously Zinchenko can't play every game. Need to rest him. So Carabao Cup, play Angelino. Obviously now it's the other way around where Zinchenko's fit. Uh, sorry, Zinchenko's injured and, and and Mendy's fit, so it's the same thing. You know, you can't play them all every time. Um, yeah, he's just. I mean, he was quite good against Southampton, to be mm. fair. Um, and the interesting thing is, you could say he's not particularly good defensively, although you know Southampton didn't attack. But when they did, there was one time Garcia got caught out and he covered in behind and cut out a, like a pass into the box, which was really good. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, overall, he's not good defensively. But none of the City's left backs are. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, even Cancelo. I mean, he played there against Wolves, but you know there was other problems in the team that day. Um, and I'll be interested to see how Cancelo does there. Um, but even even he's got issues defensively as well. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I still think Angelino's pretty far down the pecking order. Let's uh, um, yeah. Let's touch on Ilkay Gundogan. You mentioned him before, Sam. Uh, he got the third against Villa, Kieran. It capped off what I thought was quite a good display. Yeah, um, I read that since the defeat against Newcastle, he's started. 31 out of 38 games for City so he's quietly kind of become a large spell of that was Fernandinho's injury at the yeah. back end of last season yeah so I mean surely through uh, fortuitous circumstances he's ended up being quite re- uh, regular and reliable um, but yeah I think he's just consistently consistent um, he's never ever inconsistent but he if, it's rare that he kind of stands out, as as Sam said, like as being completely world class. But he's got to be 
he's got to be near enough first naming the team sheet in the middle of the park these days especially with the, the crisis at centre back where Rodri and Fernandinho have had to step in um, but what an unbelievable he's just a sexy footballer isn't he really <laughs> um, his, his passing range and in the absence of oh I touched upon this already but Laporte bringing the ball out and spotting those passes in between the lines he's now doing that I think I saw you retweeted something the other day about City are almost playing four yeah. f- four one it's what I think it's one four one, four, four one. yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, so and and Gundogan's so so crucial to that because um, the re- him giving the passes to the four to the more forward um, minded players is massively important but he always pops up with a little cheeky goal as well and the finish the sort of like Liu Kang karate chop uh, <laughs> karate kick into the net the other day I love that kind of finish um, yeah no I, it's not it's, it's not a case that I love him well, he's, I was, just, I was, he's just very reliable I wanted to come into this because it feels like the vast majority of the Etihad Stadium is not sold on him yeah well he's played in he played in the defeat against Norwich and Wolves as well didn't he but I, th- I do think it's important to realise that Guardiola was trying a, you know a different way to protect that defence after Laporte got injured because I think he was a bit worried about it from the Bournemouth game and then Laporte got injured in the next game anyway so after that game he you know he, he tried a different way of like shoring up the midfield and the defence but it didn't work and basically the idea was for Gundogan to play as a number 8 but deeper um, and even against Everton City created a lot of chances and even before you know Mario scored that free kick it was like yeah they're the better team but you could never nervy. rule out Everton it was nervy, and obviously it, yeah. Everton had what eight shots on target mm. and you know Guardiola's whole like metric for being defensively good is the opposition not having any chances whatsoever and Everton had loads and yeah. Edison was really good so if you look at those games Norwich Everton obviously not Watford um, but then Wolves as and well. Wolves you've got Guardiola trying something else and Gundogan getting a lot of blame for not being De Bruyne um, or Silver in the case of Everton. But, you know, he wasn't always in those attacking areas. He was always kind of further back and there were so many knock-ons from that. And, you know, Guardiola said he made a mistake in the Wolves game and since then we've gone back to this formation change that, that Kieran just mentioned. Um, with they've, they've gone about it in a completely different way, you know, with more midfielders in the back line, whether it was actually Rodri himself going back against Palace and Atalanta or just Gundogan dropping deeper from number six. And that's the way they're going about it now. And now, yeah, now Gundogan is in that number six role. Because it was only Christmas last year when people were still thinking he's not particularly good at it. You know, he's not as physical as Fernandinho. Yeah. But as you mentioned again, David, when he came into the team at the end of last season, he was in that team because he was really good at covering yeah. for Fernandinho. And probably to the extent now, I wouldn't necessarily say it's his best position because maybe for another team, it'd be just as good as a number eight. But for this City team he's best suited to that position and he was fantastic against Villa. I think he's probably one of the best performances he's had playing for City. He just mm. completely ran it. Yeah. Um, the only player that Guardiola thought was up to the standard in the first half though was Raheem Sterling. Um, he's now on it's 13 goals in 14 games. Kieran, this is getting ridiculous now. And he didn't even play against Watford. Yeah. Yeah. It is um, sort of one of those running out of superlatives moments, isn't it, with Raheem? This is Carlos Tevez territory. Do you remember when Tevez signed? Yeah. And, and, you know, it was that the running joke was that uh, United fans were saying, Tevez, oh, Tevez doesn't score enough. And then once he got, once he found his finishing boots at City, it became something like 30 goals in 31 games. Mm. And it just kept growing like that. This is where Sterling's heading now. Yeah, and absolutely. Um, how, how can you stop him? Uh, I think the word was energy that was used about him on Saturday. 
it was nobody seemed to have any energy. It was a it was a um, a wet miserable um, a wet miserable day or a wet wet miserable first half performance against Villa. And every time Raheem got the ball, he was running at Villa players, uh, and pff, City would have been lost without him really there. Uh, and then that finish as well, a nice finish, wasn't yeah. it? Um, we were still on the concourse finishing our pints really and missed it. <laughs> um, as, and if you watch the highlights, you can see that uh, there's a, an awful lot of blue empty seats who were probably doing the same. So um, after the first half performance, you weren't really in a rush out. And then he just puts it away as 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 he so often does. Um, it was interesting actually because the, the, where he picked the ball up, it wasn't in the same circumstances obviously because it was the Ederson long ball and the flick on from Jesus. But the finish against Atlanta, Atlanta where uh, I think Foden put him through, and it looked as if he was t- going to take it on his right and curl one and he just like smacked it into the near post um, I thought he was going to try something similar again but no he just like popped it through the legs popped it through the legs of Heaton and there yeah. we go um, I'm sorry Sam we have to talk about this because this <laughs> should be? should City's goal second goal have stood oh uh... it's VAR again and we're all sick and tired of VAR but the, the thing was so the whole basis of it was obviously whether Silver touched it or not but then that the basis then was was Sterling interfering with play, but did they even look to, to see if he definitely would have been? I don't know. I, what because it was he he would have been onside when De Bruyne hit. He was onside when so, De Bruyne so played it. Was it. Fine, but then when when Silver touched it, Sterling was offside. He was in. He was in. But, uh, between I think Heaton and the ball at that point, and then Heaton's eye line. Yeah. was the issue. Well, yeah, it? but that was it. Was it properly decided that he was? Because it was like they spent so much time looking at when Silver touched it and when not and what happened. And then obviously in the end they because they because they, it, so I don't know if it should have been given or not. Because what they could have decided there is that Silver did touch it but Sterling wasn't interfering with play. But then the yeah. goal was given to De Bruyne initially and then... Yeah, and then David Silver... Well, two separate bodies there, wasn't it? But, it's, yeah. but it's, it's, it's the entire fact as well here that, that you know if the VAR is saying we can't see a touch but David Silver is going, yeah, I touched it. Well, David Silva's too pure for this world, really, isn't he? Because he was admitting to the referee that he touched it. But he, unbeknownst to him, he was about to give, let the cat out of the bag that the goal shouldn't have stood yeah. <laughs> if it touched his studs. But the goal accreditation panel, which is completely separate from VAR, two hours after the final whistle, had said, he did. said it was Silva's, yeah. So the goal really, to all intents and purposes, shouldn't have stood. What I want to know, though, is somebody who had De Bruyne as the fantasy league captain, what, what does the fantasy Premier League body say? Because yeah. they're a third body. That, that well, I checked mine after the game and they'd given it to De Bruyne <laughs> and then I checked about an hour later and they'd changed it to David Silva. <sighs> right, OK. Um, the, the, on a serious note, though, Sam, six VAR checks in that game, but only two were communicated to the fans. That's, I mean, it's, it's not a good hit rate, that, is it? It's just horrible. I've, I, I didn't want it to come in. And I'm probably going to look really stupid. Everyone's going to look stupid in a few years when presumably it's going to be better. And it works. And it works mm. and it's fine. And everyone's going to go, oh, you didn't want it then. But God, like surely justifiably so. Like, I don't know. Can any level of refereeing perfection in two or three years be worth this at the minute? It's a mess. Like, And then they, and just the fact that never mind. Obviously, there's a lack of communication, which is like inherent to all of this. But like the Arsenal game as well. Obviously, last weekend there was oh well the refs aren't overturning anything, and then the weekend following they were just, they were just returning yes. everything. That's what the problem was this weekend. And yeah. then, but some of them were like made no sense, and then there was the Everton Brighton one, and then apparently that came from one of the ref chiefs. I think said oh that came from like the David Silver one at Brighton, which they didn't give. And it's like well, and like from a City point of view, you think well City aren't benefiting here, but then 
the Everton one was nowhere near as obvious as no way, just yeah. just because someone had their foot stood on doesn't mean it's a penalty. But Michael Keane wasn't even looking at it, it, looking at it. I thought it was a complete accident. Like yeah. what he'd done. It reminds me of your tweet on the first of the season, Sam. Welcome <laughs> to the ruined season. And that's just the way it's going. <laughs> Fernandinho wasn't playing that day, and he liked that tweet. Ah, oh. which is interesting. Claim to fame. Interesting. I mean, no, I'm just Didn't saying that, that. <laughs> it, it just goes to show that you Does know. Fernandinho for you. Yes, which oh. I didn't. I don't know when that happened, but yeah. Jeal- I'm suddenly so jealous. But it, it was, basically, the point is, it's interesting, isn't it? That the, a lot of players were like, "This is just mm, yeah, yeah." It was interesting that both the Villa fans and the City fans were singing in unison. Fuck VAR at the weekend. Um, and uh, do you know what? I thought about this as well. It took three minutes for that decision to be made. So not only are we, and we've, this has been touched upon loads, you know, the actual match-going fan experience is really, really going down the drain at the moment because you're having to wait around. And you mentioned already the communication with the screens. The issues and, there, yeah. Um, but actually, just from a player's point of view, that moment of adrenaline where you're about to kick off again, I know this actually favoured City, but for the Villa players, they're stood in the centre circle with their foot on the ball ready to go again ready to kick off and that kind of like right we need to get back into this they're cooling down they're stood still there's you know, probably and- something in that because they always say you're more it's more dan- the most dangerous time is when you've just scored yeah. because the other team can be yeah, that's kind of ready to fight back sort of thing. so imagine that um, that goal was chalked off and then Villa are about to kick off again. The Villa fans have had a reason to celebrate that it was ruled off. And then suddenly the adrenaline kicks in. That happened at West Ham, didn't it? And yeah, that first yeah. game of the season. Yeah. And they'll go, right, OK, let's get on this. Let's get to this. City we thought we were 2-0 down. Yeah, Actually, yeah, yeah. it turns out we're only 1-0 down. Yeah. Um, let's get ourselves fired up and go again. Three minutes is ludicrous yeah. to wait that long. So And you've done your celebrating, you've done your hugging, you've done your jumping up and down. And then suddenly your hands are on your head going, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please. And I just... I can't understand why they haven't brought in the... Um, t- I mean, it, it worked actually quite well in World Cup 2018 when they had the pitch side monitors. There yeah. weren't really any complaints. I mean, the players were complaining about how, how how bad it was when they lost a goal, but most of the goals they lost were fair enough and the decision was made correctly. Now, to be not communicated with at all, it makes it makes going to the game a bit of a pain in the arse. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to be fair, I think the logic, the logic for not checking the monitors, so Gary Neville said, but he's been on one of the courses, you know, when oh, people yeah. explain it. They said... Um, they didn't want to delay the process even further, which I mean, I'm not sure if that would be. It's already delayed. True or not? It's already delayed, and you know, maybe you know, while you know, while they're looking at those replays for 90 seconds, the ref could be looking as well instead of, oh, we've had a look at it. Can you now go and have a look? But the thing is, the problem with VAR is you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Yeah. And on the one hand, I can sympathise with them because, for example, I hate the fact that the linesman, if there's a marginal offside call, they now keep the flag down player runs through on goal and scores that's that was that was always my biggest problem with it a couple of years ago because normally everyone knows in football you look over to the linesman you, you, he's not offside you look back to your striker your striker scores you celebrate that happened during united arsenal didn't it earlier this season yeah, where the yeah but then the problem was he, yeah, he, he put his flag, he put up. The flag yeah. up and that was and that was like that was the wrong thing to do but so he was getting criticized for doing the wrong thing but i hated the right thing anyway so i do have sympathy for them mm. but i just think this is why in my brain anyway I just think just get rid of it because yeah, no one's happy off, either yeah. way and yeah you got those decisions then when the linesman they're putting their flag up anyway and that United one should have been really controversial actually because like it looked like a couple of United players Star- stopped what they yeah, were doing they definitely did and, it's, yeah. like, that's, and then but then Martin Tyler said at the weekend in a game which was completely new to me I mean I think Martin Tyler might be you know might be time to hang up the old microphone <laughs> but he was saying 
he'd been told that the linesmen had been told they could put the flag up, but the players need to play on until the referees whistle. Which, if that is true, is absolutely mental and different to what they were told at the start of the season and yeah. different with what's going on in UEFA. It did, the whole thing's mad. The whole yeah. thing's mad, and it is just—it's just ruining it, isn't it? Yeah. It's crap. Um, one final thing before we move on. Uh, just want to touch on uh, the red card in the game, uh, Fernandinho Kieran. Um, from my point of view, absolute idiot for that second yellow. Well, card. I can't tell if he's a complete idiot or an absolute genius. He's like the Brazilian Carl Pilkington here. Um, <laughs> I've absolutely no idea what he was thinking. We talked about, and you guys talked about it on the on the podcast last week um, about Phil Foden will learn from this. He's nineteen. Um, and he got sent off two yellows that it could have been avoided. He shouldn't have made the second tackle. And then you've got somebody nearly double Phil Foden's age, thirty-four years old. Going if you're going to get if you're going to do it, do it properly like yeah, this. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, the Villa player that was they were in the middle of our own half, were three 0 up in the ninety-third minute or something like that mm-hmm. to get a second yellow. And the reason why he might be an absolute genius though is that that suspension carried on and he missed the Carabao game. Yeah, and he's only got. I think his tally now is one yellow card. It yeah. is. I was going to come to this Instead because because we we I was going to clear it up for the in the in the preview for the next game, but we'll do it now. Um, he because there was the worry that if he played on uh, at the weekend, he'd be suspended for Anfield, but it just can't happen. The only way no. he can be suspended yeah. is with a red card. Mm. But Pep and Arteta, their faces were like thunder when this happened. So there's no way that that was pre-planned. Mm. That that just happens yeah, to be a happy coincidence. They, do you know what I mean? Do, they do do it on purpose. Yeah. There have been times I know for a fact. City players have got booked on purpose. Or, in fact, Fernandinho has been trying to get booked on purpose. <laughs> I remember they played Southampton a couple of years ago. There was a few games. I think there was a West Ham game and a Southampton game around Christmas. Might have been the one when Sterling scored that last-minute winner mm. against Southampton. He was definitely trying because it was a kind of, if I get booked now, then I'll miss the next game, which might be the West Ham one, and not the derby. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I was looking at it and I was like, he's going to start a fight in a minute. And he did. He did start a fight and the ref still didn't book him. And I was like, this is mad. And I must say, I, I did have some money on it. Um, and I was, so, so, I was keeping, so I was keeping an eye on it. To be honest, I didn't think I... I think I knew already that they were doing it around that time. So I was like, oh, Fernandinho's on this. He's on four yellows. And they got United in a couple of weeks. So it makes sense. So I was keeping an eye on it. I didn't know for a fact then. But then watching him, it was like, he's definitely 100% trying. The like, last 15 minutes, he was really... Stepping it up, and then I did find out afterwards he was he was trying. He was trying for, but I, for that, because the obvious one was De Bruyne in the Champions League a couple of years ago. Yeah, um, I was told before the game that that was going to happen, and then again it was a, it was around Christmas and my wife's birthday, so I did put a bit of money on it to try and <laughs> boost it. But, but City was but City were winning the game so well, like the opposition. I can't remember who they were playing. Barely had a kick, um, and then I remember at the second half. I don't know if it was 10 minutes in or 15 minutes in they had a break and De Bruyne ran after him booted him the ref blocked him and then City substituted him straight away yes it would have been were they going to Shakhtar on the final game I think maybe? it might have been that yeah. one <laughs> how much did you win? either 100 or 200 <laughs> right we need to be more switched on yeah we should be doing the charity bet on yellow cards <laughs> less, less moral <laughs> You're a Blue Moon podcast listener, so I'm thinking that you enjoy some top-quality coverage of Manchester City. If you want the best coverage, then you could try The Athletic. They've got interviews, features and stories about the club from a world-class team of writers. It's totally ad-free and there's no annoying pop-ups. If you want to give it a go, then head over to theathletic.co.uk forward slash Blue Moon and you'll get 50% off your yearly subscription at £2.50 a month and a 30-day free trial. Sam here is their City correspondent. Sam, what have you been writing about this week? 
well, a, a bit of a a bit of a cross section of the city goings on actually. Um, so on Monday it was the match piece from the Aston Villa game, which was actually more focused on the sensory room that City are doing now. Oh, you went to that, didn't you? Yeah, I watched the game from there and spoke to the families that you know benefit from that. Um, see how the children benefit, see how the families themselves benefit because, God, fair play to them. You know, it's a it's more than a full time job that. Um, and it was great to see how you know not just City because other football clubs do it, but on this occasion, how City do that. Um, so that was, I enjoyed writing that piece. I thought it would be good, a good way to kind of get that message across. Um, and yeah, another game Tuesday, um, Southampton, the Carabao Cup. That was a focus on Tommy Doyle, kind of inevitably. You, you spoke know. to him, didn't you? I did actually, yeah, for a couple of minutes afterwards. Annoyingly, because I'd written the article and got done <laughs> and it, at a good time and I was about to go home. And I was like, I'll go and check out the mixer and see what's going on. And he was coming through, so I was like... Oh, God, I better go and do my job. I spoke to him. Yeah, for a couple of minutes, added that in, you know, got his insight on who's helped him out and how he felt and all those basic questions that you, you can think of after a game. Um, so that was good. And then I, yesterday I spent the day writing about Patrick Roberts because what's happened to him? Uh, I, I completely forgotten about him, actually. Exactly, you know, you yeah. It. Um, well, I mean, the headline figure was 11 million when he was bought, but I think it was about five or six. Um, the add-ons going up to that. But yeah, the add-ons probably won't be going up to that. Because so, he's on loan at Norwich at the moment, not playing for them. And, you know, they've got loads of injuries. Um, so, you know, I worked in conjunction with our Norwich correspondent. Um, the Celtic correspondent, I spoke to um, a friend who covers Girona and, you know, pieced some stuff together from City to find out what, what's going on for him. So that'll be to out get on into where he is. Friday, I'd imagine. Yeah. Excellent. So uh, if that sort of thing is your stuff, then visit theathletic.co.uk forward slash Blue Moon. You'll get 50% off your yearly subscription and a 30-day free trial. Welcome to the new home of football writing. Now, as we've already spoken about in today's show, some of City's youth players got some time in the 3-1 win over Southampton on Tuesday. Before that game, I spoke to our EDS expert, Sean Blinkhorn, to look at a few of the faces a little lower down the chain. There's kind of an unprecedented level of, of talent and expenditure on offer for the 16-year-olds this year. Again, if, I, if, I, if I was to go into the key stats of the 13 players that are signed this year, the scholarships, five were brought in just the, the summer just gone, and then a further four that I know of were bought in at younger age groups before that. So you can see you can see where the the difference in the past has been, you know, you'd get maybe maybe seven or eight that have that have come through what you'd call locally, maybe not locally, they might not be completely local. And then you'd buy in a couple of players to fill some gaps. Whereas this year they've they've gone all out. They've gone they've spent ridiculous sums of money on what are essentially schoolboys to fill out uh, quite a talented selection of players. So, what's in terms of players brought in? Then, what's uh, what, what's that looking like? Well, one thing that had, that did strike me is that they bought in two young left backs this summer. Um, can, it, can never go short left backs. No, <laughs> we <think>. certainly <laughs> can't. Yeah, I mean, on top of um, bringing uh, Angelino back to the club as well, so they've bought essentially gone out and bought three left backs this summer. So, you know, it can't be. Uh, accused of not knowing where the problems are. <laughs> but these two lads, uh, Oscar Terenzi and uh, Josh Wilson Esperand from uh, from West Ham, they're both kind of attacking full-backs. We've really struggled over the last few years to actually create our own left-backs. I think of the 30 academy players that were here before, the scholars, only one of them was a left-back. And we were finding uh, a centre-back was getting put there. You know, anyone with a left foot basically was getting played there. And it, I just don't think it's it creates a good um, model 
for when you're moving up to the first team. Certainly not at a younger level as well. Yeah, exactly. And you, you want players to be playing where they should be playing, I think, when, when you're developing them. Um, so that uh, Oscar is the one I've mainly seen so far, and he's, he's quite a positive attacking, typically Spanish fullback. He, he does look good from what I've seen so far. Others I wanted to mention, Finley Burns, the record uh, fee holder for a 13-year-old back when he was. £175,000 for a 13-year-old, which is it was incredible at the time. Still incredible now. It's still incredible now, lie. yeah. He's, he's, um, to look at when, when he signed his scholarship, he was uh, the first very first picture I ever saw of him. He was towering above Jason Wilcox. So he was ridiculous <laughs> at, at 16. So he's a big lad, uh, and he knows how to play football, as you can imagine, yeah, as well. Um, then there were the, a couple of wingers, uh, Sam Adozi, uh, we've not seen a great deal of yet, and Oscar Bob, who's had a bit of a slower start than Norwegian. He was um, he's picked as, as one to watch by the Guardian this year. In fact, the only the only one of our group, uh, if I remember correctly. Um, he was also banned. Uh, Porto were banned from signing him a couple of years ago because it was quite obvious that he was moving for footballing reasons, whereas you banned. You have to be moving for family reasons, and you have to prove that. So, he's obviously a, a talent. Sought after, yeah, he's yeah. obviously a, ta- a talent, and he's he's ended up here for the for the meantime. And the, probably the final player I'd want to mention personally, uh, Liam Dilap, son of Rory. He is he looks fantastic. He is an old fashioned centre forward that your dad will love. You know? <laughs> yeah, honestly, he. To watch him play football, he gets the ball at his feet, he puts his head down and he runs at the net, but with some kind of grace that I've not really seen much of from a player of his sort. Um, quite an exciting talent. Uh, how the, long... the sort of talent you don't really associate with his dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, true. But, yeah, well, you know, I don't know how long he's going to stick around if you look at maybe Bobby Duncan and Noah's, Noah of Ohio of the past, uh, you know, in terms of striking talent, but he certainly looks one to watch for now. So let's, I mean, that's all well and good. Let's talk local talent because yeah. um, there always seems to be, I'm not going to say that, that there's not more of a connection, but there is yeah. something different about them. Yeah, um, like, like I was alluding to at the start, there's so much, so fewer of them this year, which is a shame. But um, a couple of noteworthy talents so far, CJ Egan-Riley, He's he's playing a lot for the England under seventeens at centre back, and he does look um, yeah he does look competent. It's hard to tell at this stage with some with players, especially centre backs. But I'd I'd probably say the uh, the main story for the local lads is is Joe Hodge. He's already got a full under eighteens season under his belt. Unfortunately, he's uh, I think he's broken his ankle or something at the minute, so he's he's kind of had his development uh, curtailed, but. He's, he's kind of a, a very similar player to Tommy Doyle, if you've ever managed to watch him. A defensive midfielder type, centre midfielder, with lots of ability. He's very well thought of at Ireland as well. Uh, he is eligible for England, but he, he plays for Ireland and he's played as far as their under-19s at 16, which is a bit of a which is a bit of an anomaly. He's doing all right then. Yeah, he is. Um, just finally then, in, in that case, um, is it worth going to, to watch this lot? <clears throat> I'm going to kind of break my rule a little bit. I, my normal rule is to not waste your time with, with youth football because you know, 99% of the players aren't going to make it to any sort of level that you'd care about for a start. Um, in this case... I'm sensing a yes here. 
It is a yes. Unfortunately, City recently, they've kind of lost all interest in including fans in the youth football, the youth process. No games are streamed, no highlights are shown. And if you ever go to the CFA, you know, to watch an, an under-18s game, you're treated like a, a pest, an uninvited, you know, pest. You kind of, even, you get to the gate, you state your intention and you go for a, a wristband, <laughs> which is all very well and good, but sometimes they'll just suddenly decide, oh, you need to show your, your season card to get in. And, oh, no, you can't go down there, make sure you, you know, it's just a bit, it's just a bit uninviting, let's say. But going against my usual rule, I'd probably say the way this, this scholarship, this under-18s group is performing this year, they can only be worth a watch if you can spare the time to go and do it. Please give us your backing. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Sean Blinkhorn talking EDS matters there. Now it's time to look ahead to the coming week of games. Uh, Southampton and Atalanta on the horizon. Um, we've already cleared up the Fernandinho situation, uh, so he can't be suspended for the trip to Anfield unless he gets sent off. Um, with all of that in mind then, who uh, who would you pick as your, uh, as your centre-back pairing for this one, Kieran? Um, Nicholas Adamandi and John Stones. Uh, I think, and you'd pop Fernandinho in front of them. Yeah, yeah. I, I would, I would like to see that again, and I think that would work against Liverpool better in my mind. I, I would like to see Fernandinho in the Fernandinho position that I've come to, that I've come to um, enjoy seeing him in, you know, yeah. and that he's sort of um, his trademark. Uh, with Gondwan sort of alongside him, that would be my kind of idea for what I would like to see at Anfield. I was going to say, look, do you save that for Anfield and and kind of for Southampton? You would stick Fernandinho in the back four with Stones, mm. maybe Gondwan in front. I don't know. I, like, I I honestly don't know like what he's thinking. What yeah. you could think? So the reason why I'm struggling to answer a little bit is that I've put that Liverpool game to the back of my mind so far away that I could, you know, because I barely want to think about it. Um, but. I would like to see John Stones get a little run in centre in centre back again alongside Ottomendi, the two natural uh, two natural centre backs. I know it's a little bit the two of them are sort of struggling with their form, aren't they? But the general got a goal on Tuesday night. Um, he also, for once, made a successful sliding rash challenge where <laughs> he won still the ball. Did it. Yeah, I know. My Don't God, do it. not a brain cell between. <laughs> no, that feels harsh on that, fe- that feels harsh on John Stones. Really harsh on Stones. Uh, yeah, no. He just keeps giving the ball away, doesn't he? He gave the ball away to McGinn on um, on Saturday, and if not for Ederson, we would have been goosed there. Um, but I sort of do want to see them together, and I think a game against Southampton where. They're at sixes and sevens at the moment. We've comfortably sort of swept them aside on Tuesday night with a, you know, with the majority of the youth set up. It would be nice, nice to give a couple of senior players a confidence-building um, game together, and then at a, in the Atlanta game, do the same, and then maybe would you trust them in Liverpool? I don't know because I don't want to think about it. I think both of you are probably disagreeing with me on that front. Well, I, I wanted to know about left back Sam because is it Mendy all the way to Anfield now? Well, he played there in the nil nil last year, didn't he? After coming back from injury, mm. he did really well. But it's—I mean, it's—he's had two years out effectively, and it's—it's it's three games of ninety minutes in a week. Oh, so you mean would he play against? Would he play against Southampton, Southampton and, Atalanta, and Atalanta and then at Anfield? No, no, but you can manage that, can't you? you just play Cancelo or Angelino. Mm. It doesn't matter so much then. I'd—I'd—I think I'd have him at Anfield. I think I would, yeah, because he's done well there last season. When he played there last year, I was oh god. Mm, but he was very controlled, wasn't he? But he was really good. Um, so yeah, that so that'd be fair enough. I think yeah, maybe don't play him in mid. Maybe play him against Southampton. Don't play him in midweek. Um, Who would you play I mean, on the left? 
in midfield. The left forward? Yeah. This weekend? In, in front of Mendy then. This weekend? Yeah. Sterling? Yeah, and then take that all the way to Anfield as well. Yeah, I think Sterling plays all the time, basically. Yeah. Mm. I wouldn't know. I, I, we talked about it earlier in the show. I don't think you ever take Sterling out of this mm. team. They'll, go, they'll yeah. go to Atlanta with a strong team, beat them, you know, from, from City's point of view. Win the group. Hopefully beat them. Yeah, so Sterling then, will go then you can play. Southampton, Atalanta, all the way to Liverpool. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. So I was just wondering whether you would dress them. And then it's international break, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, the, the, oh, yeah. And then they'll play twice for England. The, the other thing is yeah. is, uh, is Phil Foden as well. He's obviously suspended for Atalanta. So does <laughs> yeah. he get any time against Southampton as a result of that? In a, yeah, weird, in get, a weird way. He should get 90 minutes, yeah. Absolutely. He won't. Know, well, yeah, but will he oh, get? No. Maybe he will. Maybe he will. It seems as if could because it's just it's probably the same logic that led to him playing against Atalanta. Yeah, that was yeah. a big game they needed to win. Yeah, well, a number of factors just seem to have lent on the side of Phil Foden should get a full game against Southampton. He's already played against the midweek, done rather done really well, um, quietly, and then he can't play on Tuesday. Is it a time to rotate a little bit, rest a few people? And then people play that... David Silva, give him a proper rest, play David Silva in the week. Yeah, yeah. Every, everything should hinge a little bit on the on the Liverpool game and the fact that Southampton should I know the famous last words and I can't believe I'm being so arrogant as a City fan on this but we should beat Southampton we've beaten them in the week and, and they shipped, shipped 12 goals in yeah, two games yeah. they, they, like um, although worryingly they did sort of they did have a little spell towards the end I think we'd switched off a little bit um, but yeah no if we're at ourselves with a full a, a full squad of senior players, um, give Foden a run out. He can't play Tuesday. Play yeah. Anfield. We all know. Imagine he started Anfield. We yeah. all know it's an it's a nailed on 180 minutes for David Silva anyway. Um, yeah. In terms of the striker then as well, because Aguero Jesus, it's been an interesting relationship this season that that they've had with different competitions. Sam, you were talking earlier in the earlier in the season about how it always seemed to be Jesus on away games, and then wham, there he was for the uh, for the Villa game. Well, that was the kind of that was why I was asked to write the article, and to my chagrin, the headline was, "Why does he only play away games?" And I was like, "That is a coincidence, though. <laughs> I don't want it to be like the whole. I don't want people to think he only plays away games because he doesn't. And then obviously he played at home. Yeah, and people would have been like, ah. What were your findings? Away, what What were your findings from that? Then what did you reckon? What was it? Um, well, I think it was a coincidence, but the the small differences in their game, um. Um, Jesus drops off so the defensive line that they've got yeah. often you know away from home will be deep and so you need to break them down and he'll, he'll kind of drop off and link up with the number eights um, and then one, maybe one of the centre-backs goes with him right. you know, they're spacing behind the whole classic kind of false nine yeah. thing either the number eights can get in behind or maybe one of the wingers can attack that space Aguero generally stays on that line and looks for through balls in behind mm. but then if you're if City are struggling to 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 find the space to play those through balls, then those runs aren't as useful. Yeah. Um, so that that's one of the differences between them. And then I just looked at the other thing, which was, you know, when Guardiola says he's the best presser in the world, and mm. everyone's like, oh, yeah, he's really... But what does that actually mean? Yeah. Um, but I just looked at the way he the way he does it. It's not just running in to nick the ball back, which he does, but it's he'll, you know, City will set traps all over the pitch, so they'll be like, force them to give it to this guy. And then when this guy's got it, we'll go and get him. Mm. So he'll you know, he'll position his body to make sure that the centre-back, if he's got the ball, 
he can only kind of funnel it in one direction. Yeah. And then if it does go, if they do play it in towards the defensive midfielder, then like Sterling can like go, he'll be ready. Can steal he'll it. run yeah. and get it. So it's that kind of thing. And obviously Aguero's good at it now as well, but Jesus is seemingly slightly better. Mm. So I think those are the kind of differences between them. I still don't know if that's the definite reason because otherwise... It's you know it's not just that Jesus is a, a better presser and moves better because if he was training like crap and every shot he missed in the week was flying was, high was, wide yeah it was going yeah, out, yeah. he wouldn't pick him oh you know if he wasn't training properly or if he wasn't fully fit obviously he wouldn't play so there's those are the main things but the slight differences between them you know, of those things I just mentioned yeah um, and that's what I just thought actually because I hadn't thought about who would play at Anfield maybe it's back to the season you know the stage when. It was early on in Guardiola's time, not just the first season, but even the second. And like Jesus was playing in the derby away, yeah. Yeah. and Aguero was on the bench. Maybe it's got back. You know, if they are both fit and doing one in training, mm. maybe it's got back to those days where they need they need to try something a bit different against Van Dijk. And we are. I mean, we are going to we are going to come on to the Liverpool game next week because but... actually Van Dijk, when he I know it's completely different, but when he played against Germany. Germany did this mad thing. I know they played to the all the time, but it wasn't the last game. It was like the one before when Sane was fit. Germany basically didn't play any strikers, but Sane was always kind of cropping up in that space between Van Dijk and it would have been De Jong, I think, Holland's defensive, mid- um, yeah, Holland's defensive midfielder. And they were tearing them to bits. Yeah. And you think if City didn't play with a fixed striker and Jesus kept dropping off, that might be a way to go. I wouldn't be surprised if they did that. Actually. All I was going to throw in, though, was that last season City didn't really press at Anfield. They yeah, they yeah. they kind of sat back a, t- a lot more than they would have normally yeah, done. Yeah, but not so, so much the pressing, but the dropping off yeah, and the yeah. options and you know the movement and that kind of thing. Because if if Aguero likes to stay up there, um, obviously he drops deep to link up with the play. They all have to do that. But, but if, if he, he likes stays to stay up, up there, and makes the game. running behind. If Jesus kind of makes a bit of space or causes a bit of confusion for for Van Dijk and, and whoever plays with him, you know, probably hopefully from City's point of view, it's Lovren. Yeah, you know that you know there'd be a bit of there'd be a bit of joy there. That, yeah, that's an interesting one actually. He would play there, but for this weekend, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Well, uh, good to get your thoughts on that. Anyway, um, time to have a look at our charity bet. Would you look at that? It was me who added to the total last week. Hey, uh, we're with my three nil against Villa. We've now raised two hundred and fifty quid this season for the Christie, a cancer hospital in Manchester. Uh, the charity bet is with William Hill. They're giving each of the panel a ten pound correct score single. Southampton and Atalanta to come. Uh, Kieran, I'm starting with you. Three uh, one, the Man City. Uh, three one is ten to one and a hundred pounds if you're right. Sam, what uh, what have you gone for? Five one to City. A big five one is is one hundred and sixty quid if you're right. Sixteen to one. So uh, I hope you are right. I've gone for a three nil, which is uh, eleven to two and fifty five pounds if I am right. Uh, I have a, I've gone for back to back three nil wins because I'm three nil in Atalanta as well. Uh, that's twelve to one. So uh, one hundred and twenty if I'm right. Kieran, what have you said for that one? I've gone to I've gone the same back to back three ones. Uh, that's nine to one and ninety pounds if you're right, uh, Sam. I've not quite gone the same back to back. I think I've thought they're going to be one goal worse off and just four one in Atalanta. Four one is fourteen to one and one hundred and forty pounds. You got to be eighteen or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on responsible gambling, check out begambleaware.org. <laughs> now then, would you two like a beer? Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> on, there's a there's a box there. Just uh, just dive in. Don't, take what you want because. There's a, a good selection there. Yeah. Okay, I've gone for the most colourful one. What have you got? Uh, Lost and Found, uh, which is a predominantly green can. I don't know what shade of green. Like the Barcelona third shirt, which you may have seen, which I'm currently wearing, actually, <laughs> uh, because I couldn't be bothered to get changed. Is that why yeah. you selected that one? Or? Uh, yes, I think it is. <laughs> Kieran, what have you got? I've got uh, a beer called Cross Borders Wee Bra, which, um, to translate for you, means little brother. 
uh, <laughs> laid back session IPA. It's a nice pink label. And down the side it says tangerine mango floral micro brews micro brewed in Midlothian. Excellent. Well, uh, Kieran, you've got a bottle opener there, so uh, crack on. Uh, Samuel's as a can, so uh, so go ahead Oof. for it. Um, that's yours for the show now. It's free from beer52.com and Blue Moon Podcast listeners can also get eight free exclusive craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to beer52.com forward slash moon and cover the £4.95 postage. And as an added bonus, Blue Moon Podcast listeners will get two extra free beers, taking the total to ten. Uh, what do you what do you make of them? Not bad. Not bad for a, fruity. for a... Yeah, very fruity. Lovely and, and crisp. Very refreshing. You for be, a Thursday afternoon. You're going to be uh, swigging it all the way through the show, so oh, uh, I, ho- I, hope you, I hope you enjoy them. I'll be talking through my hat in no time. <laughs> um, Beer52 find the best and most interesting beers from around the world from the greatest small batch breweries, and each month they deliver a case with a different theme. Beers come from places like Germany, Korea, Norway, South Africa, Finland and California, but they also haven't forgotten about their roots with the UK craft beer scene. There's no lock-in with Beer52, and you can leave at any time. Your first box will be sent to you next day and will contain beers from all over Europe, hoppy IPAs, hazy pale ales, refreshing lagers, and more from breweries like Aura from Italy, Ninkasi from France, Tempest from Scotland, Boss Brewing from Wales, and many, many more. If you prefer some dark beers in the case, then choose the mixed plan. If you don't like dark beers, then pick the light plan instead. So, uh, are we are we happy with those? Are you going to lovely? Yeah. It's going to um, oil me up nicely to to, to uh, talk about City for an hour. I'm going to let you pick another one for uh, for later in the show. So, uh, so, got, so dive in. What? Uh, what, what do you fancy? I'll go for a can this time, I think. Wow, I like that. That's Aura. I Aura. mentioned that a minute ago, yeah. Aura, here's a heart. Yeah, lovely little bottle. Looks yeah. fit. And Sam, what have you got there? Ninkasi Blonde, a Pilsner, which is really up my street. There we go. You also get the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferments, which I think is over there as well, Kieran, is it? Yeah, lovely. And in there, that explains oh, well, the yeah. theme and individual beers. They're also throwing in a cheeky snack as well, but you can't have them because uh, Chris had them last week, <laughs> I'm afraid. Uh, just go to beer52.com forward slash moon to get your first case of eight beers for free, plus those bonus two beers for Blue Moon podcast listeners. That's beer52.com forward slash moon. Now, this season, Rob Wilson is looking back at each of the previous 10 years of Manchester City since the beginning of the Blue Moon podcast back in 2009. This week, it's time to cast our minds back to 2011-12, the year that City won the Premier League title for the first time in the most dramatic circumstances. After a landmark season which saw them win the FA Cup and qualify for the Champions League, Manchester City were keen to progress even further in the Premier League's 20th year. The squad was in great shape and manager Roberto Mancini was adding the final touches. Gael Clichy, Costel Pantilimon and Stefan Savic arrived and they were soon followed by playmaker Samir Nasri and striker Sergio Aguero. First up was the Community Shield and another Wembley Manchester derby. City led 2-0 at the break, but a United fight back saw Alex Ferguson's side win 3-2, and afterwards the podcast Paul Atherton expressed some concerns. United were just miles ahead of us there, and the scariest thing for me is you've got Carrick and Anderson dominating the midfield, and they are not excellent players really, considering what you'd expect from Yaya and um, David Silva. That's the main worry for me, the fact that we didn't have possession, and usually that's the one thing that we can get from the game. City started quickly domestically, but it was a different story in the Champions League. At the newly named Etihad Stadium, Napoli gave the Blues a tough test. Alexander Kolarov rescued a point after Edinson Cavani had given the Italian side the lead, but that night would be a sign of things to come in the competition. After the game, Paul Atherton thought that City had underestimated their opponents. As a team, 
and as fans we underestimated them really. We knew we had good players but we, what we didn't know was that they'd come out with such a good game plan, did we? And the way they counter-attack was, you know, spot on. If you want to see a counter-attacking team then that's how you, that's how you do it. City would fail to reach the knockout stages. In the Premier League though, they were the early pace setters. Excellent football defined dominant wins over Swansea, Tottenham and Aston Villa as City made themselves early title favourites with seven victories in eight games. It was tight at the top with Manchester United hot on City's trail and a trip to Old Trafford was set for October 23rd. Not even the most optimistic of City fans could have predicted what happened next. Here's Dzeko, couldn't be six could it? It could you know. A seismic day in English football. They opened up a five-point gap with that emphatic 6-1 win, and after the game, Dan Burns was elated. It's the type of day that you feel for any City fans that had to sit in the United end. You, know, you always hear of somebody, don't you, that gets a ticket with their mate and has to go and stay quiet. It was absolutely brilliant, wasn't it? Absolutely perfect. Mancini time, two in the net, perfect. As 2012 began, attention very briefly turned to the FA Cup, where City would face United once more. Captain Vincent Company was sent off in a miserable first half as the Blues went in 3-0 down at the break. A spirited response nearly forced a replay, but United held on to win 3-2. Following the game, Paul Atherton disagreed with the red card. He did raise both feet, but I know Company does that to trap the ball and then walk away with the ball, keep possession of it. Um, I don't think there's any intent there, and I do believe Carrick and Rooney's played a significant part in getting him sent off. By January, City had a narrow lead over United in the title race, as Spurs visited the Etihad. An unpredictable game went City's way, as Mario Balotelli sealed a 3-2 win with a last-minute penalty. As spring approached, City began to find it tough at the top. Defeats to Everton and Swansea let United retake control of the title race and a 1-0 loss at Arsenal left Mancini's side eight points behind with just six games left. The title looked lost and Dan Burns was despondent. I thought it was lifeless, I thought it was limp. I thought that we offered little to nothing. Defensively, I mean, we all know about Van Persie and how good he is. They've cleared their own head off the line in the first half. They've had one when the Marlin slid in for the most ridiculous reason ever. He just stand up. It was sod's law that the goal would come from 30 yards. That defeat, however, would prove to be the last of the season, as a resurgent City hammered West Brom and Norwich. Across town, United dropped points to Wigan and Everton. It was a weird situation where both City and United had the title in their own hands, but only because they played each other at the end of April. Never before had there been a Manchester derby with so much riding on it, and City needed someone to lead them through that big night. The 1-0 win put them back into first place with just two games left and United's unusually cautious approach drew the attention of the panel. That's what I mean, you could see understand Fergie's tactics in the sense that he would have pressed the ball and that would have made us nervy. But they gave up after 10 minutes and City just got in the game. And then from then on, United were, you know, useless. City still had serious work to do though. Newcastle, their next opponents, were chasing down Champions League football and would prove to be a test of City's credentials. It was Yaya Torre who took responsibility again. His goals secured a crucial 2-0 win, leaving City needing to beat relegation-threatened QPR at home on the final day for their first title in 44 years. 
With United ahead at Sunderland on that day, they briefly topped the table until Pablo Zabaleta scored at the Etihad and eased City's nerves. In the second half, however, chaos ensued. Either side of a Joey Barton red card, Gibral Cissé and Jamie Mackey completed the unthinkable and put the visitors ahead. It stayed at 2-1 for a long, long time. Edin Dzeko made it 2-2 in second half stoppage time, but it felt like it was too little too late. Then, from out of nowhere, with the entire world watching, this happened. Manchester City are still alive here. Balotelli, Aguero! With the last kick of the season, Sergio Aguero made it 3-2 and won the Premier League title. And even after calming down, the podcast Dan Burns couldn't quite believe what he'd just seen. I still can't understand how a 38-game season comes down to the last 10 seconds. United champions for all of, what, 30-odd seconds? City had done it, and in the most dramatic fashion. After three seasons of consistent progression, they had arrived on the world stage with a bang. The next task was to consolidate what they'd achieved and go for more. Hi, it's Nicky Weaver and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Get involved with the debate on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Rob Wilson looking back at City's title winning campaign in 2012 there. Now it's time for Ask the Panel. Get your questions in for next week at Blue Moon Podcast on Twitter. Email through the website bluemoonpodcast.com and you can search for us on Instagram. Just search for Blue Moon Podcast. I promise I'll update it when I can because I always forget to take a picture. Uh, Will Byrne is the first up on the emails to ask, will limb tracking technology help speed up VAR decisions like Saturday's? I've got the paragraph here. It says, Hawkeye are working on a system of using multiple cameras to give video assistants access to an automated offside line Mm -hmm. in real time. It'll track the back foot of every outfield player in each VAR game, providing a constant offside line. The current system requires video referees to construct a new offside line across the pitch for every incident. So every time that so the... the foot, though. Yeah. It's just, the problem is it's always the fucking shoulder. Yeah, mm. so, so yeah, yeah. but at the moment, they have to first off, they have to draw the line on the pitch for each incident. So this yeah. is the theory now, is that we'll take it from the, the foot and it will be there'll be a, a line there every time. I don't know how it works with whether your shoulder's over the top of that line mm. or, or not. I don't know. Do you still have to draw up that line? I don't know. I've just no faith in the technology. I mean, in theory, that sounds like it could solve a few problems, but... Not, does, it, does it need to be that precise? It's like, if you just change the rule slightly, I don't, could know, we, no, I don't yeah. know what. I don't know what. Well, we, the day, I always like the daylight rule. I mean, I thought that made sense. I don't really know why they shifted it off. The very idea that you can be offside just because your shoulder's further forward to somebody, that's not what it was intended for. So, I mean, if it's designed to do that, but... They'll get it wrong. They'll mess it, needs, it up. It somehow. needs a rethink, doesn't it? Yeah. Do you remember the? Uh, I can't remember what match it was, but this, they drew the lines on the screen and they were just wobbly, like like I'd drawn yeah. when I was eight years old freehand. It was. It was just in the FA Cup and it wasn't in the Premier League. Yeah. It was our last season or something. Mm. It was like a United game at Blackburn. Or yeah. And it, yeah, it was, or it, or, was, or it was a straight line, but it wasn't in line with the goal line. So it was yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It wasn't parallel. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Nonsense. Just randomly drawing a rhombus at the end of the uh, <laughs> the end of the pitch. Um, Jordi on Instagram asks, "Why do so many people leave the ground early?" Kieran, I know this is a bugbear of yours. Um, it's not really a bugbear of mine that people leave early. It's a bugbear of mine that other people get arsy and pissed off about people leaving early. I was thinking about this a few years ago. This might have bothered me, but now I've got to the stage where it's like people can do what they want. It's it doesn't it doesn't really help the atmosphere. But on Saturday. It was an early kickoff, 
football doesn't govern everybody's life. Do you know, if if people need to get off, it was a Saturday afternoon. You've got like kids to pick up and your wife to see and a 30th birthday party to go to. You know, you've got stuff other than City. So if we're 3-0 we're up, the points are in the bag and people need to leave, let them. I don't know why we've got into this sort of pure but talk. If but if you've got a stadium full of 50,000 people and then 30,000 have mm. gone by 90 minutes. Yeah. Well, there can't be 30,000 people that need to need to get off, sure. I, I also thought about this in a, in a weird way. And I know I'm not, I'm not from Manchester, so it's not really my place to say. But like, I think it's almost a good sign that it suggests City are a bit of a community club that people can just leave go home nearby in and around Manchester whereas instead of there's not that many day trippers who are like there for the occasion it's kind of just like yeah we won I'm going to go home and I'm going to go about, about my day because I'm a local it's uh, a really British thing as well I reckon British people are just obsessed with getting home yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> absolutely like, if you go to, if you go to a queue. concert I was a concert it was great I was home by half ten <laughs> ah, yeah. well I was home uh, we left we didn't leave early per se but on the Southampton game on Tuesday night and I, I don't really like to leave early but um we were leaving the gates of the Had when we heard the final whistle blow and we were on the bus and I was home by 11 and I live in Liverpool. Do you know what I mean? So that, that was sound by me. People just need to get home. It's all right. What The reason why I object to it so much is that the Villa fans picked up on it and kind of went with it as in e, like um, how spoiled you are as City fans and you can't even stay to support your team. But sometimes, does, sometimes blue empty seats do look a little bit embarrassing and I... <sighs> When Pellegrini was leaving and the stadium vacated really after after kind of what he'd <laughs> some of shocking, the success that you know that that looked a little bit bad, but embarrassment. There's a I, difference between a lot of empty blue seats on ninety minutes in a game that they've won three 0 and a lot of empty seats at like ten minutes into a game that is a, a crucial tie. Do you, yeah. know, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So. Are you saying the people when it's still one one and the stakes are still high? People when it's people, w- people, people still staying, leave. Yeah. yeah, I think that goes with what Sam's saying. People just like to get home. I I wouldn't like to leave at that point when the game's poised. Um, but I think this just goes now to other. It's becoming tribal to say, "Ha ha ha!" I can't yeah. believe I can't believe the empty hat is just clearing out that much. And you know, people are making memes and and some. Some Villa fans were taking the piss out of City fans about it, and then they posted it. And some Liverpool fan then retorted with how many cups Villa have won in their history, and then got I don't know ten thousand favourites on Twitter. And it's all about numbers, and it's all about tribalism, and it's all about taking each other down. We're really, do you know, you do you. If you want to leave, leave. I'll stay. That's all right. Don't comment on other people. Just live your life. It's sort of it's getting under my skin a little bit, um, and and. Like what's what's your take on it? Do you think that? Do you no, think I'm, I'm in the just... same I'm in the same place as you. I, I very rarely leave before the end of games. Yeah. Um, I did against Atalanta uh, again. It was a night game, and I had work the next day. I wanted to get home. Yeah. Same sort of thing. Um, but I don't really get too wound up if people want to go. Yeah, it's just another stick to beat City with because there aren't really that many sticks to beat City with. Do you know what I mean? City are City are very well run and very successful, and people pluck things. I mean, every club has it, doesn't it? Do you, know, do you know what I mean? Every club has that sort of little thing. So, like, um, Liverpool, it's kind of like, oh, it's our year next year. United, it's like everybody comes from London. Like, there's a stick to beat every club with, really, and it's just one of them where um, the Addy Hat's called the Empty Hat. City fans... Don't turn up. City fans, are, yeah. City fans are plastic. They either don't turn up or they leave early. It's like, so what? I don't care. Fair enough. Uh, final question from Lee Bolton on the emails. Uh, he says, how can we expect serious action on discrimination when the Bulgaria punishment is so weak? Yeah, well, you can't, can you? That's, you can't. That's it. 
Like, unfortunately, I feel like we're supposed to give really good answers on this, but the obvious answer is you can't. Like, yeah. they're just they're just not bothered, are they? Obviously, like, obviously, if if that if that's the idea, um, yeah, it probably has got to the stage now, especially with Bulgaria, just because you know, if any country's done it a few times and they're you know being punished a few times and found guilty of it a few times, then mm. it's yeah, let's just go right. You you're not qualifying for the next tournament, then that's the best one, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, to be honest, I I don't know why. Why were the Bulgaria fans? You know, the old the last the England game when they were, they had like the hoodies with the no respect thing on. Yeah, the, which was like some point against UEFA. Did anyone get to the bottom of why they actually said that? What? Why I were don't know. Why were they making that point? Was it just because we want to be racist, so let us crack on? Because if so, obviously that's mental. Yeah. But I'd like I would actually like to know. I'm not I'm not trying to find a reason, you know, to justify the racist. Yeah. yeah I would yeah. actually like to know why they had that. I want to know what their what their beef is with UEFA. So um, is respect UEFA's anti-racism? Their, yeah, yeah, it's their campaign. And they were just saying no to that. We'll be racist if we want you. Yeah, I guess. I so. mean, if it is that, then obviously that's just mad. Yeah. Um, but I mean, they were brazenly racist anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't mean to make this tribal specifically um, after what I've just said about the uh, about people online and that. But um, City were fined for being thirty seconds late onto the pitch against Porto a few years back, um, more than. Bulgaria have been fined over this racism thing. Um, the Yaya Toure racial abuse that was, was CSK Moscow. Yeah, I think so. Um, and then they were given an empty stadium and a fine. I think the fine might have been reduced and the stadium wasn't empty and City fans weren't allowed to travel to that game. So, but it's not. I, it's it's certainly not tribal because because look at what happened to Wolves. Yeah, uh, at the start of this week. It's just that there are the two examples that I'm familiar with being a City fan. So yeah, ev- I mean you can you could fire. Pff. There's the Bentner one, isn't there? Which yeah. everyone uses. Yeah, the, the really really pass. sad thing is that you can now come up with a dozen examples of X, Y, and Z racist issues and and um, incidents that just have been tackled appallingly by UEFA, by FIFA, by the FA. There was a picture I saw the other day. And it was like UEFA's executive committee and there are the, the pictures on the wall at like HQ or whatever. And it was all like 50, 60 year old white blokes. And it's like, in a, in a way, you think you can't tie them all with the same brush and say they've got no idea. Cause I, and I was going to say, oh, well, you know, we're all white guys doing this. Um, you know, we've, you know, we're not completely out of touch. But, you know, fundamentally we are. We don't fully get it. Yeah. We don't fully get it. Yeah, yeah. And if we did, and then we saw it happening to other people, then we would really would be like, you know, if we were handing out the punishments, you'd be like, this is what you need, you know, this this is why it's important. And I, I suppose that goes kind of goes back to the Bernardo Silva thing without wanting to rake up those graves before mm. they need to be raked up again. A lot of City fans saying, oh, well, there's no reason to be offended. And, you know, people are just being offended on Mendy's behalf or whatever. But, it's, you, you know, you're just, you are just, generally, it was white people saying this. Yeah, just perpetuating uh, racism, gen- isn't it? Genuinely, um, you're just ignoring loads of people who are offended whether they're black or not but there were a lot of black people who were offended by it and it's the same it's the same kind of thing when it comes to this you know this committee that hand that decides the punishment for uefa seemingly full of just white people who who, who literally by definition cannot understand it quite mm, so well yeah. And, and yeah that kind of lack of representation probably does show when it comes out to the punishment because they go oh yeah play it behind closed doors when there's a load of people thinking this doesn't get to the root of the issue at all and it's not a proper deterrent mm. because fundamentally that i guess they don't understand the extent of you know how how damaging that is right well uh, that's it for this week's show special thanks to my two guests kieran murray blue and sam lee 
Thanks very much. If you'd like to hear something more, we've tried something different for this week's Patreon bonus show. Me and Kieran recorded our journey to the studio from the station <laughs> in the very first Blue Moon Podcast Carcast. What, what we, I called it a Carcast. What did you call it? I've forgotten again. Uh, Carpool Barioke. That's the one. That's the one we're going with. Uh, no agenda, just some random city memories and chats. If you'd like to give it a go, it's completely free, so head over to patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. That's a special treat for this week uh, since we're trying something new. If you'd like to be on one of those bonus shows d- uh, later down the line, check out the $10 a month tier on there as well. On next week's main show, we'll be looking back over the games against Southampton and Atalanta, plus previewing that trip to Anfield. See you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Southampton and Atalanta to come. Uh, Kieran, I'm starting with you. 3 1 to Manchester City. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Just soaked myself. Was that is free celebration? Beer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, man.